We are in the Beatitudes, which you'll find in Matthew 5. But I'd also like for you to turn to uh, Matthew 18, which is where we're going to begin our scripture reading today. One of the things that we see with the Beatitudes is that uh, Christ preached this uh, great sermon, uh, a wonderful teaching, and then later in his ministry, he fleshes out a lot of these kind of one-line statements that are so power-packed. And that's a little bit of what we see here today as well. Um, while you're turning to that, let me uh, ask each of you uh, new members that were just welcome today, Following the service, if you've got just a few moments, we would ask you to go to the gathering place and then encourage you members to swing by there and uh, speak to them. If you don't know them yet, meet them and uh, welcome them. So just for a few moments uh, following the service today, if you can do that. So just uh, uh, slip on over there, maybe even on the last hymn, which will get you there more quickly than trying to work your way there. So um, we'd appreciate that. In Matthew 18, we read this in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then back in Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word that is powerful, not because it's magic, but because it is your word. And we pray now that you would use it in our hearts. There are so many things that you call us to do that just do not come naturally. They must come supernaturally. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would mold us into who we as children of the living God are to be. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Every, every spring, virtually every spring and going into summer, we begin to hear on the news 
about shark attacks going on at the beach. Have you ever noticed that? Of course, one reason is because people are starting to get back into the water and every spring going into summer, uh, they will have Shark Week where they will show all the Jaws movies and uh, usually they will have specials about sharks and all of that kind of thing. I, I know that uh, the travel bureaus at the beach just cringe when these come out again. Well, one year, we, we our children particularly, have always enjoyed going to the beach. And uh, one year, there were uh, a number of attacks right along where we had scheduled to go uh, down in the Gulf. And uh, so we went anyway. Now, there's, there's a number of different ways to deal with shark attacks. One would be denial. Some would say those who continue to swim and surf are in denial if they go into the water knowing that there's been other attacks around then. Well, here's the thing. Abby and I went into the water. We were at the beach. We went into the water. But I don't think it was denial because I went in with a plan. (laughs) I felt that Abby, because she would be near me, would be safe because between her size and my size, a shark's going to go for me. (laughs) But here was my bigger plan. I always tried to stay close to somebody a little bit chubbier than me. So that if a shark did come, and you know what? Here we are to tell about it. (laughs) So it wasn't exactly denial. Um, Another way that some people cope with it is is by fleeing, by escape. In other words, some uh, very caring and loving fathers probably said, okay, that's it. We're going to the lake this year instead of to the beach because I don't want to risk it. That's one way to deal with it. And some thinking it through just would exercise more caution when they went in the water and so on. Everyone dealt with it differently. Another scenario, what would you think of a, of a person that said, you know what? When that shark comes, I'm going to stand my ground. I have a right to be, I'm going to stand my ground, and he's just going to have to deal with it. We'd say, well, you know, that's just foolishness. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense to face it head on. Well, obviously my message is not about shark attacks, but more about conflict and here's the reason we're talking about the shark attacks because the the kind of reactions that people have that I just described roughly coincide with some of the kind of reactions that some people have when it comes to conflict 
When we lived in Georgia, we had an exterminator that said this to us, and probably they say I'm here in South Carolina too. He said, uh, you either had termites, you have termites now, or you will have termites. (laughs) Well, when it comes to conflict, you've either had conflict in the past, you're in the middle of some kind of a conflict now, or you will have it. Because we live in a fallen world. And living in a fallen world means that there will be conflicts that we will have to deal with. And every church, every church has to decide, will we be a functional church or a dysfunctional church? And every church member has to decide... Will we be a functional church member or a dysfunctional church member? God has given us ways of dealing with conflict. And by the way, if, you, if you're visiting with us, you might say, Ooh, I wonder what's going on in this church. Well, don't worry. Um, I'm not preaching this because there is a conflict going on. I'm preaching this because I am preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And today, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy, happy, eternally happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The the reason there's a need for peacemakers is because there's conflict. Now, let's take a look at uh, um, what what this whole uh, process and concern over conflict. First of all, where does conflict come from? Uh, Some conflict comes, uh, and you can begin turning to James 4, by the way, but some conflict comes from differences that are God-given. In other words, just differences in uh, uh, personality, personality, Preferences, temperament, different sexes. Those are the way God made us. And those are not necessarily, though they can be necessarily related to any kind of sin. Certainly not in and of themselves. Terms of different, after 35 years of marriage, 35 plus years of marriage, I've come to realize that Connie and I uh, have different personalities. Men and women often look at things differently. I've come to realize that. And hopefully, one of these years, she will come around. But I expect. Instead, then when we've been married 50 years and 60 years, we'll still say the same thing. But you know what? When it comes to that in marriage, different personalities and seeing things different, men and women seeing things differently, it can either be an ultimate conflict that you are unwilling to resolve, or it can be an expanding thing, a growing thing. And because it's the way God made us, it can be God-honoring. 
So that's not the kind of conflict that is really at, at issue here. If dealt with in a healthy way, it can be beneficial. There is another kind of conflict that the Bible talks about, and that's what we see here in James 4. Isn't it amazing how many times we, we went through the book of James uh, uh, a year or so ago, how many times we go back to that, how, how um, overarching many of the principles in there are. Uh, James 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What, what it's saying here is that this is conflict as a result of sin. And, and that's what has to be dealt with. What's undealt with will cause even more damage. It's, it's like a disease. You, if you have a disease, it's not going to work to just say, well, okay, well then, I know what I'll do. I just won't go to a doctor. Or I just won't take my medicine. Or something along that line. That's not going to take care of it. Things will get worse. And when it comes to conflict, that's the danger as well. So how do we deal with it? Well, we need to figure out uh, what the Jesus way of dealing with conflict is. What did he say? It was no surprise to him that uh, there's conflict. If you go clear back in the Old Testament, we do understand that there is a, a time to overlook minor offenses. Just a couple of verses uh, in Proverbs 19 and 17. Proverbs 19, verse 11. uh, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And then Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Now here's the tricky part about that. The tricky part is, how is that different than denial? How's that different than just saying, okay, well, I won't deal with that. I'll just just overlook that. Well, you have to be able to really overlook. In other words, you can't say, well, I'm going to overlook that, but then bring it up to a bunch of other people, or put it on the side burner, overlook it for now, and put it on the side burner till some other conflict comes up, and then you bring that one up too. You haven't really done what it's saying here. And if, if you overlook it without putting it away, then eventually it'll cause a bitterness that will come out either toward that person or someone else. So it, it, in the case of minor offenses... There is a time to overlook. But here's here's the rule of thumb. When sin is involved, we cannot just overlook. Okay? When, When sin is involved... See, I'm not talking about the other kind of conflict where, well, he he has this preference and I have this one. 
Well, I can overlook that. That's his preference. He has a right to that. But where sin becomes involved in an issue, it must be dealt with and dealt with in a right way. Now, what is the right way when we don't merely overlook? Personally, directly, and head on. Remember earlier when I said, what would you think of a person that said, well, I'm just going to stand my ground when that shark comes? How foolish we might think that is. Well, we might think when it comes to conflict, that's foolish. I, I, why would we want to deal with conflict? I wasn't raised that way. We, we weren't raised to hit things head on. I'm not comfortable with that. In fact, some of you might, might have come up with uh, a theological reason not to, or you might have been hit with this reason that some people give, and that is, judge not lest you be judged. You know, you began to deal with something and someone says, oh, well, Aren't you holier than thou? Judge not lest you be judged. Pastor Kelly and I were talking about that this week. That that, so often people use that as a reason not to properly deal. Well, what, what is it saying then if it's not saying don't judge others? Well, here's what Jesus said completely. And by the way, it's right after the Sermon on the Mount, right at the tail end. Judge, this is Matthew 7, 1 through 4. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the same judgment you you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? So, so what is it saying then? How does this fit with dealing with conflict head on? Isn't this saying don't? Well, when it comes to people's hearts, we can't judge them. Because we don't know hearts. Only God knows hearts. We don't know if people are really saved other than ourselves. But we are called to look at the outward. And so if someone, for instance, says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but everything in their life denies that, every every action that they do denies what they have said, then we've got to say, okay, well, I don't know their heart, but, but they're denying that they really are a Christian. So what it's saying is, look, you've got to first judge yourself. Make sure that there's not a speck there or a log in your eye. And then we look at the outward and we have to deal with it in a right way, in a proper way, head on and personally, one to one. 
Look how Jesus said to hit it head on. He's so clear about that. Matthew 5, verse 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. There it is. Some kind of sin, something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying basically that, well, yes, there's, there's going to be conflict. But if you go to worship and you remember, oh, I got this conflict with this brother. You know how important worship is to Jesus. But he says, there's something more important that you've got to do at that moment, and that is go deal with that conflict and don't put it off. Now, that's within reason, of course, in this sense. It's got to be your first priority. You go and you do it. But you can't say, well, you know, I'm not really ready to deal with it, so I guess I just don't go to worship. Because that would get in the way of my worship. That's why he didn't want me worshiping. No, he says, go, deal with it, then come back and worship. Now, the other thing is, sometimes there's an ongoing conflict. It can be between husband and wife. And you're working on it, you're dealing with it. That kind of a conflict. If that's the case, you don't stop worshiping until you get it completely squared away. You continue to deal with it. Jesus' point here is you hit it head on. You get the point. And then from the passage I read in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's a key there. You and him alone, personally, directly, head on. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So there's step one. Just between the two of you. You don't go tell everybody else what the issue is with so-and-so over here. You go directly to them. Having examined your own heart. And you try to work it out. And in my experience, the majority of times that I have done that or others have done that with me, we've worked things out right then and there. And it's glorious. It confirms God's way. The Jesus way of doing things. But there are those times when it doesn't work out that way. When you go to the person and, and they're not receptive or, or you both still disagree on things. We'll deal with that in a moment. But if you, if you see this first step, this personally, eye to eye. Let me, let me tell you uh, one way that some people try to avoid this. It's called the anonymous letter. Now, anybody that's been a pastor for any number of years has received anonymous letters. I have. And if you've written them, I don't know who you are, 
So if you walk out and say, I guess you were preaching to me about my letter. Well, you've just given yourself away, okay? <laughs> now, I haven't received any in quite some time, just for your information. But let me tell you about those. They're hurtful. They're cowardly. They're not Christ-like. And they don't work. Because there's no way for me or us, I tell my staff this as well, there's no way for us to deal with that. There's no way to confirm there, that that's a, a true issue. And so it would be wrong for us to make some kind of a decision based on that. So do it the Jesus way, personally. And I will say this, a letter that's signed, because sometimes you don't feel comfortable going face to face, but a letter that is signed will always be dealt with by me and the staff. Always it will be addressed because it is the Jesus way. Now, sometimes it just doesn't work, that one-to-one, when you go to somebody. And maybe you've experienced that. Well, Jesus knew sometimes because of a hardness of a heart or just a misunderstanding that the first step wouldn't always work. So you go to step number two. And that is you bring others in to help resolve conflict. Verse 16 in Matthew 18. Take someone with you. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You see, not dealing with conflict is not an option to Jesus. If, if you're going to live as a Christ follower, it shouldn't be with you either. So you take somebody with you, and hopefully at that point, the person will hear you. And say, okay, I get it. Not say, oh, you're ganging up on me. Because that's not the idea. You both should have examined your hearts. And you go gently. But then you deal with it. And then, if that doesn't work, Jesus says you involve the church. Verse 17 of Matthew 18. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, different churches deal with this in different ways. There are some churches that would, during the announcement, stand up and say, this is going on, this is the issue. That's their understanding of this passage. I respect them for the courage to try to be obedient in that way. That's not our our understanding here. What we understand this is that when, when there's an issue that cannot be resolved, one person goes, two go, then telling it to the church with the Presbyterian form of government, you tell it to the representatives of the church, and that's the elders. And then they become involved and seek to go through the steps and, and see to a, a resolution. They're the elected representatives. And later in Matthew 18, it talks about 
how those with that authority that, that God honors that. Now, how do we do all this without falling into more sin? I know this doesn't sound fun to you. But being in conflict and not dealing with it is not fun either. How do we deal with it? Well, the only way to deal with it, in my view, is Christ in us. With the attitude of Christ. Philippians 2. I'll just read you verse 3 to 5. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Now, just picture this if you're going to somebody, but this is your attitude. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When you do that, it will purify your motives and your actions. The attitude of Christ. And the only way you can do that is Christ in you. Otherwise, you will go pridefully. You will go holier than thou. You will go to prove a point. You'll go to get revenge. All of those, those wrong things that will not cause resolution if we don't have the mind of Christ in us. Now, there's another thing. The reason we can depend on Christ in us and the reason Jesus said that the peacemakers shall be called the sons of God is because Jesus himself was the ultimate peacemaker. Let's quickly do some theology here. 1 John 2.2 If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation. That word literally means appeasement. To appease Someone. What you have is God the Father, who is perfectly holy and who has been offended. And in order to respond to that offense against his holiness, is ready to pour out his wrath upon the offenders. And Jesus, who did not offend, The Father, who lived the perfect life, is provided for by the Father, by the one who was offended. He he provided him and he poured out all of his wrath upon Jesus. And the Father was appeased. He was pleased. He was satisfied. It was finished. That's the gospel. And that is our greatest hope. To be sons of the living God. 
if we do it this way, we will be different than most churches around. We will be different than certainly our society if we deal with conflict in that way. And it will demonstrate the power and presence of Christ. It will bring glory to God. And we will function, not dysfunction, we will function like the body of Christ. Like a functional family. Those of you that are part of this church know we have four children. They're all different. And they, in their growing up years, had conflict with one another. You know what that's like if you have children. They had conflict with one another. But there is nothing that does my heart any more good, nothing that is more rewarding than when I see them interacting in a healthy way. Encouraging one another. Supporting one another. Dealing with conflicts in a healthy way with one another. Laughing, empathizing, teaching, hugging. It gives me a feeling of of satisfaction and real blessedness when I see that with my children. I have to think that's how the Father looks at us. When we are dealing with one another in His way, in the way that Jesus made a big point of teaching us how to do that. And certainly, it must give Him great joy when His children are dealing with one another in that way. Will you commit to that? Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know what kind of conflicts people have had or are having or will have. You do. And you've told us the right way to deal with them. But just like standing up to that shark, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to us. It's the hard way to do it. It's the uncomfortable way. And so the only way we will do it, Lord, is empowered by you. And if you give us the faith to believe that your way is always the best way. And so we ask for this. We can only do it by your grace, not in our own strength. And so we plead for that, not because we deserve it, but because we come in Jesus' name. Amen.